So I have the probably first worldiest first world paper cut this week. Why? That I want to get off my chest. So I, I've been trying to eat out a bit more than normal just to support, you know, businesses yeah, around like my town and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so tonight I went to, I got some food from this burger joint in my town that, you know, they're kind of small. They have one other location in the county, but, you know, they're just that, you know, two yeah. shops. It's, and, you know, they, they make everything nice, fresh to order. They, they grill everything on a flat top and I really like flat top burgers. So it's like, it's great. Um, and the owner there is this real upstanding guy. Like he puts a lot of care into his store. He works almost every shift. Yeah. And he's he's really customer oriented and he's gotten all of his employees to be really customer oriented as well. Um so, you know, I ordered online. I I paid in advance. I showed up at the time and the the owner wasn't there, but there was this, you know, guy behind the register and you know, he verified my order and confirmed it verbally with me before, you know, handing over any food. And he said, oh, um, they're still working on your food, but I want to remake your shake because I ordered a black and white milkshake. Okay. But a black and white, uh, for those of you not in the Northeast, it's chocolate and vanilla. Mm -hmm. And a milkshake, for those of you not from Massachusetts, is a frap. <laughs> A milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> Starting this episode with a fight. It's a frap. <laughs> they don't have black and whites on the menu. So whenever I order online, you know, if I'm there in person, I can say, hey, can you do a black and white? Is that cool? And, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, of course, no problem. But when I order online, I can't do that. I can't, you know, be charming. Specify what a black and white is because I got us off track with the frap thing. Well, I said it's chocolate and vanilla. Chocolate and vanilla, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's both it's the best of both worlds. So what I do when I order online and I want a black and white is I sit and I think to myself, okay, if I couldn't get one and, you know, they were to just give me one of the two, what do I want right now? And tonight that mm -hmm. happened to be chocolate. So I hit, you know, chocolate on the order form. And in the notes section, I said, you know, if it's okay, can you please make me a black and white? I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, and I you know, put the order in and sent it off. So... I'm assuming what happened when I showed up at the restaurant was the guy behind the register, you know, looked at the order, saw the note, went to grab the shake out of the freezer because they had already made it because they didn't know when I was going to show up and they don't want me waiting. Saw that it was chocolate and thought, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to fix this because they're still working on his food and everything will time nicely and you know, that'll be that. Yeah. And... However long he thought they had to work on my food was not as long as they had to work on my food. Aww. Because within about 30 seconds of him saying, let me just remake your shake because I, I want you to have a fresh one. He, he even covered for the mistake. Uh -huh. you know, yeah. I had my food in my hand and now I'm waiting on him to make my shake, which is fine. I'm OK with this. I, you know, I understand that things take time and timing doesn't yeah. always work out and like and i'm <laughs> i'm sitting here grateful that he's like that you know this is not up to his standards and he's going out of his way but he feels bad now mm -hmm. and i knew we were recording tonight so like i was debating even getting a shake in the first place and i decided to get a small because i didn't want too much dairy you know like making my throat all oh, scratchy throat, yeah yeah you know it's so I wait for my shake and, it, you know, it, it takes him like a minute or two to make the shake. 
and he brings it over and he hands it to me and he apologizes so much for the weight and he said, I'm so sorry, I upgraded you to a large. And I said, thanks, it's fine, don't worry about it, you know, have a good night. And I left and I came home and I sat down and I ate my dinner and I, you know, had, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, this is a shame, I'm going to have to throw some of it out. And I sit down and I'm watching the episode and I get to the end of the episode and then that, you know, hollow sound because I had finished the shake. So now I'm going to be downing water this entire episode because <laughs> I just drank like 30 ounces of milkshake. That's beautiful, though. Yeah. It's making me crave a milkshake. <laughs> I'm sorry, a frap. <laughs> water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello, and welcome to The Pie Show with your hosts, I'm Colton. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we're talking about Book 1, Chapter 13, The Blue Spirit. Ooh, yay! Lucky number 13. This is one of my favorite episodes of the show. This is one of the top episodes of the show. Like, this has been rated one of the top episodes among, like, fans creators this is this is a great episode well let's get to it in this yeah. episode with Sokka and Katara still ailing from the effects of the storm Aang must find some frozen frogs to cure his cohorts I totally forgot that this was the frozen frog episode it it's so inconsequential I feel to like what I think about this episode it's so funny for me because I am picturing two different episodes for me. Like, I remember the Frozen Frog episode, and I remember the Blue Spirit episode, and they were not the same in my memory. Yeah, yeah. At all. <laughs> like, for some reason, in my memory, Frozen Frogs feels more like the spirit world, like, hey, bye. Mm. I don't know why, just because, like, I guess Aang's off doing his own thing in that episode, and Frozen Frogs, like, I know he's off doing his own thing. It's so funny for me. The frozen frog thing seemed more like an episode, like a season two thing. Mm. I don't know why I thought it was season two, where they were doing like a, a bit more of the traveling. Like I feel like season two is where they start doing their bigger journeys. So I pictured it somewhere in there, and the blue spirit is in season one. It didn't. They didn't match to me. I'm so glad that you also had that feeling, like that they didn't match. Well, I think a part of that is we really don't spend a lot of time with Sokka and Katara in this episode. Mm. We check in on them from time to time, but this is not their episode. No. And the frozen frogs really feel like almost an ex like the whole sickness thing feels kind of like an excuse to leave them out of an episode that they really don't have a place in. Mm. Mm. Okay. It's kind of convenient almost. 
And I don't mean that as as a criticism. Like I know a lot of people say, yeah. like, oh, that's so convenient. Uh -huh. Like it's some big detractor. But like, no, you need to have times where you can sideline some characters to focus on others. And literally sidelining and leaving behind two sick characters is a pretty pretty interesting way to do that. Honestly, I didn't feel it as sidelining. I felt it more as a motivator. There was more like it felt like it uh made the clock run faster because we now have two more two more people on the line immediately um and Aang is this this is his family this is what he has left mm. and it felt like the stakes were raised oh, i didn't think without, about it like without that without necessarily without necessarily uh changing the circumstances of the broad season it upped the ante for this episode yeah i never considered that when i i didn't mean like, they don't have a function in this episode when I said sidelining. I just meant, like, they they are they are props. They're not, like, taking direct action that is furthering the events of the plot. The plot is being furthered because of them, and we have these stakes because yeah. of them, but because of things that are happening to them, not because of things they are doing. That's fair. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I think it's just I noticed their presence through Aang's actions if that makes sense ooh like they have influenced some of the, the some of the choices he's made yes they've influenced some of the choices he's made and some of the choices that he makes he makes because of the circumstances they are in and because he knows them and because of how much he cares about them and we kind of see them through him in a way Mm, I like I'll that. I want to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah. I think before we get into that, though, we should <laughs> we should take a minute to talk about this recap. Yes, I love that we're still watching the recaps. I think it's I think it's fun. I I don't think we'll always have something to say about them, but I think when we mm -hmm. do, it's like whoa. Yeah. You know, like it's they they have for me on this rewatch really been adding a little bit of extra like context and insight. I think. I'll admit, I realized that maybe I was a little harsh on the Great Divide in the way that some of the clips were from the Great Divide and gave really good context to this episode. In what way? In. <laughs> I'm in totally that... not enjoying putting you through this. I know, I know, I know. I'm owning up to it that. Just be glad I... I'm not bringing up the fact that you said this is the only episode that never comes up again in a previously on Avatar when we were talking about the Great Divide. I'm not going to mm. throw your face, throw that in your face. <laughs> You're totally throwing it. But in I my am going to ask, what do you? What do you mean? What do you uh, expand on that a bit? Aang's moment of saying he needs to move on and take action and be the avatar, like, and owning up to being the avatar and uh, taking action as the avatar that he says in The Great Divide uh, was, was powerful for the beginning of this episode and for this episode in general. That's all you're going to get out of me. You're not That's fine. More. That's fine. That's, <laughs> That's I'll take it. I will take it. <laughs> It is a good thing about the Great Divide. And that's all I wanted when we were talking about the Great Divide. I just wanted a good thing. Yep. So thank you. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I really like the the juxtaposition of 
Aang and Zuko in this recap. Because I, I spent the entire recap thinking about uh, that line that you noted in, in our last episode when Iroh says that, you know, the Avatar gives Zuko hope. <laughs> and then they played that line again in the recap this week. <laughs> and not only did they play that line in the recap, they ended the recap on that line. Yep. Like, way to pick him, Kelly. <laughs> and I have not watched that recap in a long time. So that was not anticipated. That <laughs> No, that's just your inner Iroh coming out and speaking <laughs> on your behalf. The, that was my Sokka instinct. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's instincts. Kelly's instincts. <laughs> They're good. They're good instincts. Thanks. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of context for this episode that I looked up. Uh, we had talked previously about what was the uh, mid-season mid-season finale what was what was something before a hiatus and originally nickelodeon had only ordered 13 episodes of avatar and this is the 13th episode so they built this one up to be that big finale-esque feeling to it so when you feel that big swell of drama in this episode there's a reason they it, it was supposed to get you motivated and keep you going and have you on the edge of your seat and have a really cool like reveal at the end. That makes so much sense. So wait, now I have to know. Yeah. When did they get picked up for more episodes for the rest of season one? Did like, did this episode? I I believe they knew they were going on. Hold on. Cause it's, it's one thing to, you know, plan out your 13 episode arc when when the show is in pre-production and you know you have that you have that beat written on some level and then when you get there and you've already been picked up for more you know that's still going to be like it's still going to be a a big heavy beat but you play it a little differently versus if they hadn't been renewed for or picked up for more episodes when they were actively working on this one and it was in production and it was you know the episode for next week or even the episode that's airing right now and everybody's waiting on the decision of are we going to get to keep doing this show? Like, that is a totally different level of, of thing. So apparently this was referenced in their uh, their book, The Art of the Animated Series. Um, and I'll, I'll give you what it says on the wiki. Uh, as Nickelodeon only ordered 13 episodes of the original series, the, creator designed, the creators designed this episode knowing that they needed something exciting along the lines of a series finale. As a result, knowing that they had created a rivalry between Zuko and Zhao, they thought that if Zhao had cap uh, captured Aang, no one would be more motivated to rescue him than Zuko. So uh, I don't know when they found out that they were continuing. Hmm. I would be really interested to find that out. Listeners, if any of you know when Nickelodeon ordered the rest of season one, Please, please tell me. Yeah, I think another really interesting thing about this episode is that so this episode, like you said, is it has that that drama, that grand finale as feeling to it, um, the swell of drama. I really love that. Uh, this 
also ranked in the number 15 in 100 greatest moments in Nicktoon history. So it's 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 pretty tops like, you know, uh, and one of the creators, Michael Martino, this is he said this was his second favorite episode out of three uh, because of the mysteriousness of the blue spirit involved. And he loves the action and the surprising twist at the end. So this is a favorite among creators, a favorite among fans, a favorite. It just just such a well-received episode. I think this is one of those episodes for me that like when I think about the show, I think about this episode. It's so funny because after watching this episode and I had to watch it again after I watched it again, uh, I realized that this episode is not on my usual rewatch list of like items that I items that I find are essential for rewatching. I don't know why it was not. I don't know why. Um, I think maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention to. I wasn't given giving season one its due in some places, but I think this is now quintessential on my list of if I'm rewatching this series in a truncated manner, I need this episode. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, not only what what episodes do I think are like, you know, this is the show, because I think I think you mentioned that idea, you know, in an earlier episode that we that we talked about, you know, like the episodes that you consider to be, you know, Avatar. But yeah. I've also been thinking about if I were to get someone into this show and if I were to like just pick an episode to like to tell someone bear with me for the next 23 minutes, watch <laughs> this. And if you like it, you'll like the show like, you know, that this is like your gateway episode. And I feel like those two those are two very different kinds of episodes. I agree. And I think this is one of the few shows where those two kinds of episodes are two different kinds of episodes. Mm. I think for a lot of shows that I watch and a lot of shows that I like, those those lists are, if not identical, then 80% overlapped. Yeah. But like community in the paintball episodes or the office and literally any standout memorable episode it, of the it's office usually diversity day like that like uh bring your daughter to work day the Those are the, the two that they usually introduce weight loss yep but avatar it's the the greatest episodes in my opinion like i i can't use those to introduce someone to the show because there's not enough con like so much of what makes avatar great is this slow burn between these characters that mm. you know the the episodes that i consider super satisfying that you know define the show for me are generally episodes where those relationships are challenged or evolve in some way or are pushed or we get an element of of payoff for something that's been building and you can't appreciate that in the same way unless you've been along for the ride Mm. Agreed. I wonder. I'm trying to think of what the gateway episode would be <laughs> for this series. I mean, my gateway episode was the pilot, but I had gateway years of being yelled at. Yeah, by me and other people, but mostly me. Mostly you. Lots of others, <laughs> but mostly you. <laughs> Lots of others, but mostly me. I was the loudest of the voices. Oh, I have to think about that. All right, that's that's the listener question. Everyone, tell us what your gateway episode was. 
or what your gateway episode that you use for other people is. Yeah, for Avatar. I'm trying to think of what... I mean, I, I dove in headfirst when it first came in. Yeah, and, or try it from the other way. Think about the episodes that like define the show for you and whether or not you would use them as gateway episodes. I don't think you would. I'd be willing to bet that the episodes that define the show for you, you would never consider to be gateway episodes. Yeah, because honestly, I I think one of the ones that I always mention to people of like how good of a show this is, is Ember Island Players. And so much of Ember Island Players is built on you've been with these characters. Built, you've seen you've seen it all. Yeah, for yeah. so long. Yeah. So, hmm, I have to think on that. Get back to you next episode with that. And I want to hear other people's. I don't think we're going to have any. I think this is going to be a thing that like, you know, in somewhere in season two, you'll be like, this is this is it. <laughs> Drop the pin right here. This is this is. Took forever to come back around, but we made it. This is this is I'm going to use this as the gateway episode. Hmm. Hmm. But okay. we'll see. Just something to keep thinking about. Keep in your mind. I'll keep it. Keep it there. Let's get into the return of Jafar, Commander Zhao. Oh, Commander Zhao. Okay, Commander Zhao. I thought you were going to say Jafar. No, no, different, different media. Uh, the return of Commander Zhao, and uh, now Admiral. That was a moment. That he. <laughs> That was such a diva moment. I aspire to watch someone read about how I recently got a promotion to outrank them and then take the letter that I just watched them read out of their hands and read it to them to really drive the point home. I absolutely love it. I mean, I can respect that. He is so extra. I want to talk about what that he was a general, correct? Um he was a commander or the the other guy was yeah, a colonel the, the colonel i want to talk about what the colonel said the colonel says to zhao that capturing the avatar is nothing more than a vanity project and that kind of opened my mind for the first time to say why is he hunting the avatar what is his motivation here? Because the general's right. They are fighting a bigger war here. Like he goes, he's like, I'm focusing on the war. Why are you focusing on the avatar? And so I wanted to ask, what do you think the motivations are there? So I have a theory. Okay. I, and my theory is that Zhao's ambition far outweighs his actual standing okay explain he is i don't think he's like full-on fire nation inner circle like he purports himself to be walking around everywhere the fire lord personally like no he's close he was at the agni kai he was at the agni kai there were a lot of people at that agni kai that's fair there were a lot of people at that agni kai and i don't think that he was amongst the elite at the agni kai i don't think he is necessary i think he wants to be a part of that circle. Mm. And I think that he views capturing the Avatar as his way into that circle because he, he was at the Agni Kai. He saw the dynamic between um, Ozai and Zuko. And he knows about Zuko's mission. And while I'm sure that, you know, Ozai 
doesn't fully intend for Zuko to capture the Avatar and sent him on a bit of a fool's quest because he views Zuko as a fool and it is a way to be rid of him without having to be rid of him kind of thing. I think Zhao is of the mind that, you know, if the kid can do this, that's going to be worth something. So if I can do it, that will also be worth something. And it's so funny to me because, like you said, we're aware the Avatar has been missing for 100 years. It is a wild goose chase. It is a fool's errand. And I understand why Zuko believes it will restore everything and fix everything because Zuko is a child looking up to his father, thinking that this can save their relationship. I did not expect a now admiral to have that same mentality of if I capture the Avatar, I can leapfrog across everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah, but look at the interactions that we see between Zhao and other members of the Fire Nation. Everywhere he goes, people recognize him, but they don't respect him. Mm. He's looked down on everywhere he goes, and he is constantly he has to with Iroh in the beginning when we first meet him, and then again right here with the Colonel. He's constantly asserting his own authority mm-hmm. because he. I don't. I don't think he has previously had much. He's on the rise. He knows he's on the rise. He sees that rise continuing. You know, when we first met him in episode, what was it, three, four? Yeah, he went from captain to. He had recently commander, been promoted yeah. from captain to commander, and he only had a little tiny command. Like, he didn't have the big fleet that he ends up with in in Spirit World Part 2. And now he's somewhere where, you know, he seems to be by himself. I'm sure he has his forces off elsewhere, you know, doing whatever they're doing. But, you know, he's, he's with this colonel who is in command of an outpost location, stronghold, what have you. And he's asking for troops like he's he's trying to accrete more power and accrete mm. more forces. And he's specifically for capturing the Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. And I think his promotion to Admiral is probably as much a surprise to him as it is to the colonel. It's an endorsement of what he's doing. He's like, I'm on the right path, I guess. And I think it's the first endorsement that he has had truly, fully from Ozai thus far. That's really cool. That gives that moment a bit more a, a bit more weight for me. Okay, yeah. And I think that moment is Ozai giving a legitimacy to the quest. Mm, the first time he's giving the legitimacy to it. The very first time. Yeah, because it's not a legitimate quest when he gives it to Zuko. Yeah. It is a leave and never come back. But I'm not going to say leave and never come back. I'm going to say you know, leave and find the Avatar. Then you can come back. And now this is a real true mission and motivation of the Fire Nation. Yeah. It's an objective in their plan. Ooh. Ooh, Colton. I'm so glad that I asked you about this. It makes me wonder why is Ozai endorsing it now? Ooh, that's a good question. Did the fire sages say something? They had to have. They must have. They said alert the fire lord. The avatar is risen. Yeah. Like, they're working for Ozai. Yeah. There's been a few more issues. I mean, now there's a wanted poster. I bet the fire sages told Ozai, and in that report, Zhao either worked his way into it, or they were talking about how close Zhao had come. And that's what got him the promotion. 
Mm, ooh, I like that. Oh, yeah. No, I'm accepting that. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, 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 yep. I'm so glad I asked you about that. But this colonel doesn't know that. This, you know, clearly doesn't, he clearly isn't high enough up to get a whole bunch of news. He's higher than he thinks Zhao is. I mean, yeah, he's commanding all these troops, especially the uh, the archers. What are they called again? Uh, they're the, the Yu Yan, right? The, yeah, the Yu Yan archers. They're so cool. They are really cool. I I really love when we get like real world tactics in the magic fantasy show. Mm, yeah. And like we've seen archers, we've seen swords, and we've seen a boomerang so far. And like that's it. And fans. And and fans. fans. And fans. You're right. Call me out on that. That's yeah. <laughs> and fans. <laughs> But the swords that we've seen so far before this episode have been mostly decorative. Oh, so wait, you did recognize the swords? Yes, I recognized the swords. Yes, I did. <laughs> but yeah, before this episode, the swords that we've seen have really only been decorative. The boomerang is a joke. <laughs> I don't think it's a joke. It's boomerang a joke for the audience some- and it's a joke in universe. <laughs> Uh, Boomerang and Momo took out all those spears. I'm just saying. Yeah, but like, I don't know. It it has seemed so far that it seemed more luck than skill. I will I will give it that. And it's, it it's generally been presented thus far that like bending is like you want benders in your army because that's the real force, mm-hmm. and the other stuff is there to support the benders. Yeah. But these archers are not presented that way. Yeah, no. This is this is an elite like strategy team. Like this is the special ops. Yeah. This is our first this is like one of our first glimpses into something like that cuz there are there are other groups like this too. But it's always cool when we see it. Like I it's cool here with the archers. It was cool when we saw it with Jet but like, it's just. Wait, hold on. Can nope. you say that a little louder? No, 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 no. Cool. When I you said saw what I said. You can it's, look. You <laughs> hit the go back thirty seconds on your audio player, but not really. Please don't do that. Don't don't make me. No. <laughs> Zhao is cool. Yeah, Zhao is cool and a diva villain. in this episode. A such a He's diva. Such a good villain. He is. He deserves a cape. He does. <laughs> Again, like now we've got, we've upped the ante for the antagonist to our antagonist. He now has, he has now has more encouragement and more motivation to beat Zuko to the Avatar. Like he wanted it already, but now he's got the means to do so, which is exciting. And he's now got flyers of Aang out everywhere. The the wanted poster scroll the things. Wanted posters, yeah. Those were cool. That was, it's a really cool thing to toss in there that now the news, like they show the news spreading in earlier episodes, but now the news is spreading and not just in a good way, not just in a hope, but now there are more eyes out there that can be harm. Now we're going to have to see Aang either own up to being the Avatar right away or hide. There's, there's no more secrecy. Yeah. It's out there. Unless you're living under a rock, you know the Avatar's out there. It's 
the pie show. We got to talk about pie show. We got to talk about pie show. We got to talk about pie show. I just want to point out, Ira wins pie show right when talking about Zhao's promotion, and he wins with the White Lotus title. And his opponent does not see the win coming. His opponent is everybody else on the ship. Like, it was it was him versus a collective group. Like, they were all playing against Iroh. Even though he was outnumbered, what did, what did we say before? Uh, he was he was outnumbered, but he wasn't outpowered. I think we talked about this earlier on. That's not the phrasing we use, but it was something like that. What what did I? No no no. What did I use? And what did he use? Outnumbered but not outmatched. Outnumbered but not outmatched. Yes, that's what I felt in this moment. He was outnumbered, but he wasn't outmatched. I don't even think he was matched. He, no. he wasn't even breaking a sweat. He was having fun and immediately going to, how much money can I con these guys out of? But now I'm starting to like pick up on those moments when he does that and when we see these moves and compare them to the rest of the actions in the episode. Mm, the game is a mirror to life. You see another, like the big battle at the end is they are outnumbered, but they are not outmatched. I completely missed that. Yeah. Thank you so much for pointing that out. <laughs> I've been looking at that, like, and especially if we're going to, if, if we're going to be the pie show, I'm going to pay a lot of attention to the pie show. Cute animal alert. We have so many animals in this episode, okay? So we see the messenger hawk again. Appa, Momo, Miyuki, which is the uh, the cat that uh, gets the most lovely breakfast. Just a cat? Just a cat. Pretty positive Miyuki's just a cat. Uh, the frozen wood frogs. So, okay, I wrote a dead rat, but according to the wiki, it is a sleeping mouse. <laughs> He did not want to say it was dead, so um, I th- I thought it was a dead rat. Yeah, pretty sure it was a dead rat. And then we see the Komodo rhinos again. <laughs> Every time we see a Komodo rhino, I just go, "Oh no!" It's more of a chance <laughs> for me to say Komodo Ryan's. <laughs> Every time, just name all of the Komodo rhinos Ryan, and then they're all Komodo Ryan's. Yeah, and then it just solves. All my problems. There, there, we'll just declare them all named Ryan. They're all named Ryan, guys. Don't at me. Um, but yeah, so let's get into some uh, Momo Vision. You want to talk about Momo Vision? Momo Vision is, um, I just want to just acknowledge Momo Vision because it's just so amazing and I love it. And why don't we get this in more episodes? Momo tries so hard to get Katara. What, to get Katara what she's asking for. But he just like, it's like, lady, can you write it down for me? Like, what do you want from me? Where does Momo find a tiara? I don't know. Momo finds a tiara and he gives it to her. And Sokka's like, oh, hi, your <laughs> highness. <laughs> just, uh, it's it's beautiful. Like, Momo is goes out the whole, like, cavern area is filled with items momo doesn't stop he, he doesn't he, he's trying he's a very good boy couldn't couldn't figure out water though i have a question for you and i know we said we wouldn't talk too much about like the whole 
maybe a bit too relevant to modern times aspect of this episode. Mm. But like, if you were really, really sick, I'm not going to say what, but it's just if you were really, really sick, would would you suck a frozen frog? Yes. That was, <laughs> that was the cure? Yes. Yes. Also, I mean, both of them in that state are completely unaware of their surroundings. Sokka's like, Appa, you're just too funny. Like, calm it down, comedian. I just, so, yeah. Oh, heck yeah, I would suck on a frozen wood frog. I actually really loved the frozen wood frogs throughout the, throughout the episode because it kept reminding you of Aang's motivation. Just when you thought, just when you thought like, um, you know, oh, he should be concerned with being captured, be concerned with this. He wasn't concerned for himself in those moments about, you know, living the next, you know, 90 years in captivity of Zhao. You know, he was concerned about his friends who needed the frozen wood frogs in his jacket to be better. He wasn't concerned about himself. I feel like he 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 would have been like, if you just let me take these frogs to this place, I will come back to you. Like, he he would have handed himself over. I mean, he's done it before. And then when he is breaking out and the frogs are escaping because they're thawing, he's like, no, stop thawing! Mm-hmm. I found it really funny that the guy who lived in an iceberg for a hundred years was like, stop thawing, like, you should know, buddy. Once you're out of the ice, you can't go back. And it just, it brought uh, such a levity in some of the, like, high action scenes of, like, seeing the frogs coming out from underneath the door. Seeing the frog just eat itself off the tower. (laughs) Honestly, my little cute animal award is going to the frozen wood frogs this week. I'm gonna give it to Miyuki. You're giving it to Miyuki? I'm normally not a cat person, but, you know, we didn't really, we haven't really talked about Miyuki's owner, and I, I, I think she and Boomy would make a wonderful couple. I agree. And I, I identify with Aang being very frustrated at her, not just getting on with it and telling him the information he needs. Colton, let's fight. Okay. What do you want to fight about? I want to fight about the fact that I think Zuko got, like, real good at firebending because those, the few moments where we see him firebend in this episode are beautiful and fluid and multiple points of, like, trajectory and from different parts of he punches, he kicks, like, different areas. And it just seems like such a good flow as he moves across the ship, releasing his emotions over this situation. Oh, okay. We're fighting because you saw on the show notes. I disagreed with you on this. Uh, Yeah, because you decided to say just three words after I said, I think he got real good at firebending. You said, no, he didn't. He didn't. Let's fight. Tell me why. He's no better at firebending here than he's ever been at any point in the show. What do you mean? You said it yourself. He's he's moving fluidly and he's, you know, big and beautiful and all this flame and it's, you know, coming out of him and he's mm-hmm. getting his emotions out on the ship. That doesn't make him a good firebender. I think this shows such skill. He's not 
firebending. He's letting his emotions bend him. And the fire is happening because of that. He's not in control in that scene. He's not, he is not a master of the flame. The flame is master over him. And meanwhile, I view it as him trying to harness that flame and uh, direct that emotion. But that's all he's ever done, which is why Iroh drills him on the basics. Those look a little bit more than basic. That's why he's frustrated doing the basics. Because he sees himself as being beyond it, but his foundation isn't there yet. His, he doesn't have that solid root. He's not, he's not firebending from a place of, of peace within himself. I think this shows how he has so much potential. That he has so much more power in him than we know. Yeah, he has raw power, but he, he can't use it. He can't harness it. There are moments, this is one of them, where he can, you know, burn some of it off, or he can let some of it out, but I think he's, I think this is more scratching the surface, and I, I, I don't think he's tapping into his power. I think, you know, he's just so overcome with emotion and so unbalanced that he has no choice but to let that flame out right now because he can't do anything else. Because he doesn't have that level of control over his own fire and over himself. So I think I know where you're coming from because there are different uh, motivators of firebending as we learn later on in the series. And Iroh very much has his of being at peace with yourself and not having it come from those big emotions. I think the firebending that Zuko demonstrates here are skillful not iroh's skills but ozai's they are strong controlled bursts in a fluid specific motion that may be Mm -hmm. but i think that that approach is fundamentally less powerful or less potentially powerful than iroh's okay and it is definitely more personally destructive oh yeah yeah I wasn't caring about his personality at all on this. I don't want to see him hurt himself. <laughs> I think, you know, he... So I think I identified with this scene in a way as like, you know, if you're a singer, this is you belting out in the car. And you might hit that high note when you're belting. Maybe it wasn't the healthiest way to do it. But you hit it and you have the potential. I think... And you can get there in a healthier way. That's true. But you have the potential. And I think this is the first time I really saw that Zuko has the potential as a strong firebender. I haven't seen that before. Like, I mean, he won his Agni Kai, but I saw that more as um, his opponent losing his footing and losing it, losing the mental game first, rather than Zuko winning through skill. I think you brought up a really good point with the singing analogy. And I'm going to try to go with that a bit, because what do you as a singer consider more impressive? Somebody, you know, maybe belting and reaching that really hard to hit note in an unhealthy way that you can, as an outside observer, identify is damaging to them. Or someone engaging in a really, you know, controlled, proficient skill, like a really tight vibrato that's super consistent whenever they want 
the healthy version. But I'm also looking at this as Zuko is still a child. He is still learning. He is still growing. And not every kid is going to belt out tomorrow from Annie in the healthiest way. I don't think, personally, I don't think anyone has ever belted Annie in a healthy way. Personally, don't think that. So you look at every little girl who's belted Annie and there are people who are going to grow. Do I think this is the most skill that we see that the most skill and um, fire and firebending uh, style that Zuko has in the show? No, no. But I think this is the first time Zuko has impressed me with his firebending. I just think that to, to frame it around, he got good at firebending is is not an accurate assessment because there's you know i don't i don't see this scene as him being better at firebending than other points in the show thus far i just see him as like this is a time where he happens to be more emotional and so he is able to you know do this uncontrolled form of vent bending i guess yeah i think this is him at his most raw self yeah I'll agree with that. It might not necessarily be coming out of anger, but a sadness and frustration. It's not just anger that I'm seeing. But I don't think that makes him a better bender. Okay. I think he is just as competent a bender as he has been this whole time. Okay. He just, you know, he's starting with like a, a, you know, extra little bit of intensity on this one because he's so emotional. I think that for for Zuko, that increase in skill is an increase in his own control. And I'm not saying that, you know, he is a child. You are going to have to, you know, you're not going to start out perfect. You're going to have to grow. That journey is important. But I think that he progresses as a bender as he progresses on that journey of growth maybe it's the context for this episode that is making me so impressed with him is the fact that i i think it's i think it's important to see this moment as impressive because we don't see him use this at all in the rest of his mission that he has all this potential and all this power behind like within him but he chooses not to use any of his firebending in his upcoming mission. Doesn't he bend that one time in the mission? Where? He's in the building. There's that group of like three guards and he takes out the one guard. And then the others go in and find the one guard like tied up. Mm-hmm. It looks like, I mean, it was around the corner so we can't see. But like the guard walks down the hallway and a blast of fire comes down the hallway Towards the guard. I don't think so. We don't see the guard take a stance. The guard walks down with a fire bending stance. Okay, the guard walks down with the stance. We don't see we don't see you know Zuko as the spirit in the hallway because it's around the corner and we're with you know the group of guards with their perspective, but you know Zuko and that one guard are the only ones in the hallway. So if he incapacitates that guard, he doesn't blow his cover. So all right. So but the thing is, I I don't. Uh, I'd have to rewatch it again, but I think if there was if there was clear that whoever was in that hallway firebended at uh at the guard, 
that would ruin the entire twist. That would ruin it entirely. I don't think it's clear. I think it's ambiguous. And I I watched that I watched that moment like two or three times, and I could not tell if the guard was firebending at Zuko and like, you know, got taken out and so, you know, as he was flipping the flames came back. I could not tell if Zuko bended at the guard. I could not tell if the guard bended at Zuko and Zuko bent the guard's flames back at him. So I would think that seeing as he left the guard alive and able to tell the story because he was because, you know, he was just hanging upside down and he was there. He was awake. And we go on to learn about they call this person the blue spirit. They don't mention that the blue spirit can firebend like this is this. That's not a thing. They would say it's a firebender. They would say it is a traitor to the fire nation. That would be that would be it. That would be a dead giveaway. So I genuinely think that in this mission, Zuko did not use firebending. I, I I prefer that narrative as well, but I just, you know, it's the thought entered my mind. Like, did, did he maybe? We can't really tell. It's ambiguous. And like, I've walked around a corner and been blindsided and then forgotten what happened because it happened so quickly. But I don't I don't think for the sake of creating the blue spirit as as it, an independent actor and having that uh, anonymity and. As, you know, as the writers of this show, having that twist of who the blue spirit is, they can't have the blue spirit firebend in an opening part of the mission. Even, 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 even the thought of it, it can't. Yeah. And on initial viewing, it doesn't read that way. But on rewatch, I think there's a little bit of doubt. For you, not for me. I I think that it reads as more doubtful than you're giving it credit for and you don't see that because you have watched the show in the way that you watched the show for so long Mm. i think for setting up the the blue spirit as an independent character which is what this is trying to do before they reveal that it's zuko it lends itself to have its own uh met to have their own methods to have the swords to have that and Zuko may take in aspects of the blue spirit in his in other episodes where he uses his swords. But I don't think Zuko takes his crown princeness into being the blue spirit. Mm. Does that make sense? OK, OK. When you say it like that, it's it's different. Yeah, I like that yeah. more. Uh, there's another aspect of the blue spirit that uh, it's 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 not talked about in the series um and it's talked about like vaguely in one of the books but that blue spirit mask is one of his mom's masks it belonged to his mother i'm glad i did not know that before i watched the episode this week yeah it belonged to his mother because that would have (laughs) hurt yeah so that uh tim you know that is also might be another thing that that colors my viewing of it. But I only learned that recently when I was reading the books. So it doesn't color it too much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that that is an element that they add to it. I also love, did you know the mask was originally going to be red? Oh, I'm glad it's not. Yeah, it was originally going to be red, but they decided against that. It was going to be the red spirit. And kind of a uh, Red Hood-esque. Um, and they, they went with blue. 
I think red would also just be like a dead giveaway for like a Fire Nation thing. Like, you know, the blue creates that ambiguity because the only people we've seen associated with the color blue are Sokka and Katara. And Aang and Roku. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about color theory with blue being a good guy. Yeah, I think if it had been the red spirit, everyone like it would have been easier to guess beforehand and then it would not have hit as strong making it making the mass blue makes it really hit home see i may have strong feelings but i do have reasons behind my strong feelings (laughs) no i know i know i know it just not just because i'm like no that's bad (laughs) i'm sorry i'm that is what my brain heard at initial explanation and i am sorry for that that's okay. You'll get to listen to it a bunch of times in the edit. <laughs> and every time I'm going to be screaming at myself, I just know it. <laughs> now that you and I have stopped fighting about Zuko's firebending skill, I want to talk about what happens after the fight well like not after the fight but after the display of firebending which is his conversation with Iroh my honor my throne my country I'm about to lose them all and this to me felt like the first time that he admits all of this out loud that he vocalizes that all his hopes and dreams have been hanging on capturing the avatar the avatar gives him hope Avatar gives him hope. And I mean, the whole story we heard before was from Iroh's voice. And here we have Zuko saying, yeah, no, he was onto something. He's right. Like, that's exactly where my mind is. It almost makes you wonder if Zuko was listening in on the story. Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. Like, we learn in this episode that he has a penchant for eavesdropping. That is true. That is true. Maybe instead of, like, moping in the mirror, like we were saying. Like, he went to, like, go down to the mess hall or whatever, and he walked by, and he's like, what are they talking about? They're they're talking about me and um, my dad and, oh, no, uncle. You think he, like, went into the galley and got, like, a cup and, like, put it against the door? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, does he really have to tell this to every crew that I pick up? Seriously? (laughs) No, but, like, he's probably, like, He doesn't really think all those nice things about me. I just, what makes it so sad for me when he says these things is, to me, I'm like, oh no, he doesn't realize that he's already lost. He's already lost. He, he's, that was never, was never on the table for you, buddy. That was never an option. Yeah. And it just, it makes it, so much sadder and i'm like oh no you you'll kidnap him someday like i start to i start to feel for him i think it's it's really powerful how much time we spend in this episode in this moment just empathizing with our antagonist because it really drives home especially with so much Zhao in this episode that we have Zuko as our antagonist, but he's he's not our villain. Our antagonist is not our villain. That's beautiful. Our antagonist is not our villain. 
Zhao is our villain. Yeah. Ozai is our villain. We've been looking at the wrong thing, at the wrong person. Zuko's our antagonist. He antagonizes Aang, but the show doesn't vilify him. The show humanizes him. Ooh, that's beautiful. That scene is beautiful. So, similarly to how we, you know, spend a lot of time humanizing and and empathizing with Zuko in this episode in kind of an unexpected way, we see a different side of Aang. Yes, and I love it. I absolutely love that Aang is such a hothead for a pacifist monk. Yeah, he's a... He's got such a temper. He went off on Zhao. He has his uh, his buttons that if you press them, he will lose it. But I think Aang has a very interesting control over it from that whole monk aspect. Um, he had such a confidence in him and a willing, willingness to fight that I feel like we haven't seen before when he's captured and when his friends lives that's that motivator of Sokka and Katara honestly I felt him channeling some Katara anger here <laughs> like some justified Katara anger that's some iceberg cracking fury yes like where he like uh, you know, where he like pulls back and just like blows that extra burst of air at Zhao on the way out. That just felt like very much a Katara move. Yeah, it is. I didn't think of it at the time, but it's, that totally is Katara. And that confidence of like, I will get out of here. You know, you won't get away with this. I will bring you down. I'll fight you right now. That righteous anger. Just felt so Katara to me. Yeah. Oh. Ooh. Especially with his friends on the line. Yeah. I do love how Zhao just doesn't bite. I just, his plan is sick. He is so calculated and so committed. He He's like, I'm not going to kill you. That just starts the quest over again. I'm going to keep you here alive just barely for as long as i can i do wonder watching this scene like how how would this scene play out if zuko had been the one to put ang in this situation and ang had responded like that first of all i don't think zuko would have put him in this situation because he has captured the avatar before and he didn't fair but he definitely would have taken the bait oh right a heartbeat would have taken the bait he's so he's he's also a hothead <laughs> he would have been like you dare speak to me that way unchain him oh i'll put God. him in his place <laughs> <laughs> agni kai right now and then ang just bolts <laughs> with his airbender super speed yeah. <laughs> the, just the most random airbender power he can run really fast yeah that was an interesting thing to drop in for this. But I guess it makes sense when you're trying to say there is a there is a time limit on these frozen frogs. Yeah, and like I guess we kind of saw that in Omashu when he travel, made the tornado. Travel some big distance. Yeah. yeah. But it, it makes like sense. they made a point and then he did it in like just like when he makes the tornado fighting Boomy, it's like it feels like airbending when he's just running yep. really fast in a straight line along a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Are you yep. 
Are you bending the air around your legs to move your... I don't even want to think about the mechanics of it. I didn't even remember that that was a thing until this episode, and I was like, okay. Like, I just rolled with it. I was like, okay. I'm going to headcanon that he's bending all of the air out of the space in front of him. So he's Mm -hmm. pulling himself through a vacuum. Okay. But he's also bending air into his lungs to breathe. (laughs) I'll take your word on those mechanics. I'm, I'm just... I'm not gonna think about it as much but you you that makes sense to me yeah he's he's generating a, a small vacuum in front of him then you know his body is filling the space <laughs> i call this move the hoover <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> well at the same time he's building up an excess of air behind him to increase the pressure to push him through yeah i, I like this i like this and that is an airbending master who can do all those elements together. Yeah. Well, no, it's one element. It's just air. Yeah, all those skills, not the literal elements, like, but uh, all the skills that you have to do with different parts of your body to make that one combination. We, uh, we have a pretty big battle at the end to talk about. The battle at the end. I mean, as a as a concept, but also this battle. It felt like the battle at the end was like half the episode. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. There were so many different techniques in this. Yes, and the the trade off, the constant like mm. passing of the baton back and forth. They work so insanely well together. It's 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 like this beautiful dance of just yes. I I found that as I was watching it, I was like, he doesn't just have hope. The, you know, for, like the Avatar isn't just his hope. He has faith in the Avatar that they're going to get out of this. That you're, you can, you know, he doesn't question jumping on top of this ladder and then like, oh, hand me that other ladder. Like he doesn't question it. He has faith that the Avatar will safely get him out of this. He's seen what the Avatar can do, and he believes that Aang can escape this fortress. Neither of them question the other for the entire breakout. That's incredible. I love, like, both of their motivations aligned in that moment. And even Aang is like, I'm not going to question why this person is breaking me out. I'm not going to question who this person is that's breaking me out. But he's breaking me out and I can go save my friends. And maybe this person who cares about my life cares about the lives of my friends. But on top of that, there are several moments in the breakout where Aang could have just made a mad dash for it, and he doesn't. Yes! He doesn't! And of course he doesn't. That's not in his character to look out for himself. No man left behind for Aang. But, but knowing who it is that he's going back for time and time again... It's just, oh. it's, angst is the wrong word, <laughs> but it's kind of angsty. It is. It's just that he could have run home to Katara and Sokka through those three closing gates and left Zuko behind, but he didn't know it was Zuko, left this person behind, but he could not, he has a moral code. That he is going to follow. And he can't do that to someone. It's hope punk. What? Hope punk. What do you mean? Okay, okay, okay. Instead of angst punk? No, no. <laughs> Instead, it's 
Hope Punk is the opposite of Grimdark. Ah. So, hold on, hold on a second. I'll get you an actual, there's an actual definition. Okay. Uh, I have not heard this term before. So, the definition of Hope Punk is uh, the opposite of Grimdark, but Vox did, and it, it was originally coined by uh, this guy on Tumblr. Okay. Um, I forget his first name. His last name is Rowland. Uh, Vox did a whole article about it, and I'm going to pull a quote out of the article because it's like really, it, I think it captures yeah, it yeah. and explains it. Hope Punk says that genuinely and sincerely caring about something, anything, requires bravery and strength. Hope Punk isn't ever about submission or acceptance. It's about standing up and fighting for what you believe in. It's about standing up for other people. It's about demanding a better, kinder world and truly believing that we can get there if we care about each other as hard as we possibly can with every drop of power in our little hearts. Oh, this is so Hope Punk. Right? That, ooh, yes, it is. Now that you've given me that, oh yeah, that is Aang. That is Aang. That is all Aang. I gotta, I gotta give credit where it's due ooh. for like introducing me to this concept. Um, I've kind of alluded to it in the past, but like I'm a big Star Wars fan, and I listen to this podcast called Sky Talkers, and it's these two women, they're best friends, they've and like they talk about Star Wars like we talk about Avatar. Actually, if you listen to our show and you like our show and you're also a Star Wars fan, go listen to Sky Talkers, please do yourself <laughs> that favor. It is amazing. I consider that show to be a big influence on our show, even though you, Kelly, have never heard it. Never heard it. Um, but it is very good. Maybe I'll find a couple episodes that you might be interested in to recommend to you. And I'll link all of this I'll in the this. show notes. But they just did an episode on, like, the hope punk aspects of Star Wars. And it is fantastic. Ooh, that That is a great way to describe Aang. And especially Aang's mentality in this big battle at the end. And honestly, Zuko's mentality in this battle at the end, I think. I don't know about that so much. He's got his own motivations. Yeah, but at the same time, like, he goes back for Aang when he doesn't have, like, yeah, he has to, but when he doesn't have to. I think without Aang, he has nothing. Like, he, d it doesn't matter what his life is without Aang in it, because without Aang, there is nothing. This is the only thing that has been moving him forward since he's been expelled from the Fire Nation. So he will do any, he will risk anything, do anything to bring that hope back because Zhao was actively stepping on the throat of that hope. So here's a question for you then. Go ahead. At the end of the battle, at the end, in order to finally get out, Zuko has to turn the tables because he realizes that Zhao's top priority is capturing the Avatar alive. Mm-hmm. And so he threatens Aang's life. Yep. Do you think if it came down to it that he would have done it? Ooh. Do you think if Zhao has, had called his bluff that he would have gone through with it? I'm going to walk you through my brain on this one. Okay. I don't think that Zuko is at the point in his life that he can kill. But I think he, in that moment, back against the wall, far from Iroh, far from those words, far from hope of another life, this is the closest he could come to doing that. This is the closest he could come to killing Aang. If there were two more archers behind him, like if there was no... If his back wasn't at the gate, but if he was fully surrounded, I almost think he could have. Because 
like he said, my my hope, my country, like everything to him is lost. I mean, it's almost it's it's he can never say goodbye to that. He he cannot emotionally say goodbye to the life that he has lost. I don't know. I I, I don't I don't think he he would have done it. I again i'm just walking you through my brain i don't think i don't think i don't think he would have done it but i think this is the closest he ever could have come you think this is the closest we've seen him come so far or do you think this is the closest he'll ever be do you think he gets closer at another point later i don't want to back myself into a corner on this one i'll have to see i'll have to see but right now so far this is the closest Okay. This is the closest, and I don't know when we'll see him get to that point again. I genuinely don't know. I think I have an idea, but I don't know. I don't know if we see him get to the point where he where he can. I don't yeah. I, I don't know. This feels to me like the closest, but I feel like we still have so much to to unpack in in seasons ahead that maybe I'm wrong. I I don't think and I I don't want to speak to other moments, you know, offhand out of turn, but I don't I don't think in this moment that he has it in him. I think he wishes he had it in him. Oh, definitely. But yeah. I don't think he does. And I think I think that I think he had too many outs to to not have to go through with it. Do you know what I mean? Like I said, yeah. his wall was against his back was against the wall, the opening door if it was not if if Zhao called his bluff, I I honestly I think the thing is I and I think what makes it such a brilliant moment is that I don't know what he would do. Yeah, that I have that doubt that you have that to. I, yeah, you're you're sitting there and you're doubt. struggling with it and you're thinking about it and then you can't be sure. Yeah, yeah, that I'm really struggling. That's that's a really good question. It's so funny because I took. That whole when he realizes that he wants him alive, I took it. You, that's a really deep, deep question, <laughs> and I took it so much lighter because I'm like, oh my god, he pulled a Sokka and just doubled down, and was just like, like when Sokka points out to the pirates of like, you know, this is the Avatar, like mm-hmm. you've got a bit, a much higher commodity right here, yeah, and causes I- that, like, causes that escalation. I saw Zuko do what Sokka did there. He causes the escalation. Yeah, and I think Zuko did what he does in this episode because Sokka just did it to him. Yes, yes. Like, he learned, he learned that trick from Sokka. Yes, it's so beautiful. So that's another that's another moment where I saw those two characters who we don't physically see as much. But it's also, in addition to him learning a tech, learning like that move from Sokka, at this point, he has been going head to head with Aang again and again and again. And you can't fight someone without at least a bit knowing them. Like mm. when you fight someone, you get to know them through that. Yeah. And I think Aang is starting to rub off on Zuko. There are a lot of moments in this breakout where he thinks like an airbender. Yes. He, you know, zags when everyone expects him to zig and, and you know... He runs when he could fight. I have a question for you. 
Do you think Aang ever thought his life was in danger with the blue spirit when he puts those knives to, to his throat? Because they don't know each other. They haven't said two words to each other. They don't know each other. Well, Aang has said many words. Yeah, but yeah. Spirit said no words. They haven't conversed. This is true. Uh, well, no, they, they, nonverbal communication is a thing. Yeah, okay, that's fair. But do you think Aang ever thinks that his life is in danger there? Yes, yes. I think Ooh. he is so surprised by the move and so blindsided that he lets that fear in. I don't think, I mean, the, the moment is short enough and I think that, you know, once maybe they're outside of the gates, he figures out like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is a maneuver that we're doing. This is yeah. not like. Because they've been picking up on each other's nonverbal yeah. cues. This was just a kind of mental delay. And, oh, this nonverbal cue means we're back. And out of on here. top of that, I think there's, you know, there is that moment of no one is sure what Zhao is going to do. Like mm. the blue spirit has, you know, Zuko has played his hand. And now it's Zhao's turn, and and we don't know what Zhao is going to do, how Zhao is going to respond to this. And I think for that period of time, the swords are at Aang's throat. You know, Zuko has said, this is my move. And I think until Zhao says, you know, let them go, Aang is afraid for his life. I think once Zhao makes the move that he ends up making and letting them go, that's when I think Aang starts to, you know, get in control of the situation, feel a level of control over his own emotions enough that he can he can look at the situation pragmatically and say, you know, this is not personal. This is not even probably a wholehearted threat. This is a calculated move to get us to safety. First time you watch this, did you see it as Zuko? Did you see the reveal? The the half reveal before the mask comes off. No, who did you who did you think was the blue spirit? Did you did you have a guess? Did you have any inkling? I had no idea right up until the arrow hits the head, and we get that little bit of scar. Yeah, that was that was when I had. I mean, at that point, they're telling you they're not like fully ripping off the mask yet, but they're telling you they're telling you they're building that suspense of like, oh no, is it? Oh, no. I mean, I know it's been a bit longer since your first watch, but do you remember? So it's funny. I do remember. I had a thought that maybe it was Jet with a change of heart. Yep. I had that thought for a bit. Because that's the only other person we've seen with the two swords that might have access to something that's like blue like that because we've only ever seen Zuko with red things and like a lot of a lot of flips in the combat and a lot of flips yeah taking out the fire nation yeah taking out the fire nation a stick it to the fire nation but also that willingness to go the extra mile and to threaten the avatar's life like that that's a jet thing. oh yeah like that feels like a jet thing i will say if jet were in that situation i do think he would have you know, he would have gone through with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In a, in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. He'd be like, take me out. Reasons we dislike Jet. <laughs> and he'd just be like, stand there for the UEN arches. Like, what? Come at me, bro. Like, yeah. Long shot would never. Long shot would never. Uh, but no, I I did. I, I at the fir- at first first watch. I, w- I was like, is it Jet? Is it Jet? Is it Jet with a miraculous change of heart? No, it is not. 
and I did not see it coming. It was so cool. It's still cool. It's still powerful. Because I thought, for me, I thought maybe it's one of those things of, like, when you rewatch it, like, when you rewatch The Sixth Sense and you go, oh, yeah, I should have known that the whole time. It's not. I don't feel like it has those, like, big, glaring, it's obvious things when I rewatch it. Yeah, I, I, I think it does a very good job of when the reveal happens, it feels like everything is clicking into place. Yes. And you have that, oh my God, it is, of course. It feels like an extra added element knowing it when you're rewatching it. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like, oh yeah, I should have known when he, you know, like when he, when he did this, I should have known earlier. Like, why wasn't I thinking Zuko was an option? It's very, it's not glaringly obvious and it just makes it so much more beautiful that it can stay that fresh. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's always really nice when, you know, a reveal to a mystery happens, and when you go back and you you experience it again, you live through it again, you watch it again, read it again, whatever form that mystery takes, it feels the whole way through like an unstoppable freight train driving to the only possible conclusion. But the yes. first time you got there... You had no idea. Yes. Like, that's always the most satisfying thing. Yes. Absolutely agree. 100%. After the reveal, Aang still saves him. That's that hope punk. Yeah. It's... Ho, ho, ho. He almost doesn't. You can see the struggle on his face. Oh, he he was gonna. He was so mad. And that's, you know, Aang. Aang has a temper. What do you think Aang is feeling when he's sitting in the tree? What emotion are you getting from him? Honestly, disappointment and betrayal. I get disappointment. Like, I could have had such a good friend. I could, like, you are so much better than how you are behaving. And... He feels a loss for something that he hasn't even had yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like what could have been, what might have been. And he's he's so disappointed in Zuko of like, man, if you really had your act together, we could have been something. It's beautiful. I read it as regret. Ooh, tell me why. And I can't I can't decide if it's like Aang is regretting the decisions that Zuko has made, whether that's, you know, Aang is regretting Zuko's desire to capture him, whether it's Aang is regretting Zuko's choice to save him, and therefore, like, like Aang thus far has viewed Zuko as a villain. And now Zuko has humanized himself to Aang in a way that Aang can't ignore, and I mm. think Aang regrets that a bit. I think Aang also regrets the fact that so far he has, like Zuko has acted in a way that he's a villain. But I think a bit of it is also maybe Aang regretting the decision to save Zuko. Mm. I think this is his first glimpse into how am I going to handle the Fire Nation and the Fire Lord? And what am I going to do? And when given a baby version of this situation, he's like, I chickened out. I I couldn't 
I couldn't let him die. I couldn't let him face the consequences of his actions. I felt responsible for this person. And how, on a greater scale, am I going to deal with that? I don't know if Aang is thinking on quite that scale, but I, but maybe... Like, I do think that even if he's not thinking on that scale, that emotion is there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's not an active part of his of yeah. his thought process, but he does at least expand to talking about the Fire Nation. He mentions his old friend Kuzan, who was his friend in the Fire Nation, and that, you know, that a part of his life, like, he had a friend in the Fire Nation. What happened? What What could have been? What might have been? What will never be. Yeah. But I don't... Mm, mm, mm. I'm not, I don't think that Aang has necessarily ruled it out. Okay. Aang has a terrible tendency to see the good in people. Like, everybody. And I don't think he has necessarily ruled it out. Because I think if he had ruled it out, he wouldn't have asked Zuko, do you think we could have been friends? I think he's still on the fence. I think if he had said it will never be, he would not have asked that question. He wouldn't have been there when Zuko woke up. I think he's still on the fence. I don't think he's quite to it will never be. That yeah. that was I couldn't resist okay. the, ten, the the melodrama of it. I yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but, but <laughs> I, I I don't think he would have asked that question of do you think do you think we could have been friends? Because I think he genuinely wants to know the answer. Yeah, I think I I genuinely think that he's he's saying, you know, give me a reason to have hope that you can turn around that, you know, you there's change. There's more to you than than what I know. Mm-hmm. And then Zuko's response is to blast a fireball in his face. But I don't know. I don't think that answer was a no. I know it was a fireball to the face, but... It's not a no. It's not a no, because he could have said no as he was blasting. He could have vocalized something, but he didn't. I don't think Zuko could vocalize something. It's not a no, but I do think it's his way of saying that he wants to say no. Yes, it's him pushing back at that little voice inside his head, and it sounds like Iroh, uh, saying... Maybe. It's him pushing back at that. Yeah. Not necessarily pushing back at Aang, but pushing back at the possibility of another path. But I think that on top of that, on some level, maybe, you know, not actively, Zuko can see that he has, like, that Aang is viewing him with more humanity than before. And so, like, I have to push Aang away so that this relationship goes back to being adversarial again. Yes. And I think something that just popped into my head was about, you know, how I say Zuko has the blinders on. He has his one path of capture the avatar, return your honor. That. This question, if he if he had answered anything, this question and that little maybe in his voice could open a new path from the only path he has known. And I think what's really interesting is the action of saving Aang in the first place and the entire battle 
could have been the thing to open the path, but Zuko had to take on an entirely new identity to allow himself the mental space to save the Avatar. He couldn't do it as Zuko. He could do it as the Blue Spirit, but he could not do it as Zuko. And it goes back to me saying about, like, not allowing the crown prince into the Blue Spirit part of himself. He had to build a, like, he had to build a whole nother persona to allow a path where he can fight alongside the Avatar. And that's how, like, strong that mental block is. Yeah, he had to completely compartmentalize that entire facet of his being. Yes. I can't wait to see that wall come tumbling down. Does it tumble? I don't think it tumbles. We'll see. Whether it's, a, you know what? We'll see. Whether it's a tumble or a brick by brick situation. I think it's like, okay, then we're going to take off this brick and we're going to take off that brick. And I really like that brick, so that brick can stay. And we're going to take off this brick over here. And oh no, I put two bricks back up. I guess we can take that one over there down. Oh no, three bricks went back up. Oops. Those bricks. <laughs> Wow, someone punched out four bricks and it fell down over there? What happened? I think it'll be really interesting to see maybe the merger of those identities. Yes. Also, one path is red, one path is blue. Do you think they would have been friends? Do I think they would have been friends in another life? If they knew each other back then. I mean. Could they have been friends? If they knew each other back then? I think it depends on the context. Is Aang becoming the Avatar at the same age that Zuko is in Zuko's world with Ozai alive? Uh, or is Zuko the crown prince in Aang's age? I, I think Aang put the question around like them being back a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago? Yes, I think they would have been friends. I think they would have clicked. I think Zuko would have stayed so much more cinnamon roll for a lot longer. The two of them would have, like, you know, fed the turtle ducks together and um, challenged each other and sparred each other. Like, I, I think they I think they could have been good for each other. I think they, I mean, ultimately they end up being good for each other, but I think, I think they would have been friends a hundred years ago. Do you? resoundingly yes and i think the show says yes like the show flat out tells us they would be friends i mean honestly they even show like they're they're we find out later their ancestors were friends every time we see the blue spirit in this episode the sungi horn plays in the background the the sungi horn is an instrument that is made up for this show it does not exist does not exist okay it is the the sound that we hear is a combination of of different other sounds to make this sungi horn sound and and that's what iroh plays for the ship's band correct yes and he he buys it in the port in the pirate episode and he we see him at the end of this episode holding it and he plays a couple notes on it and the note the couple of notes that he plays on it is a reference to the melody that we have been hearing in reference to the blue spirit the entire episode Mm. which is its own whole (laughs) thing about like is that music like our when we hear blue spirit music is it non-diegetic you know does it not exist in the world of the show and we're hearing it as audience members like the rest of the soundtrack or is that like 
the music that Iroh is playing on the ship entertaining them in that world that we are privy to. I don't know. That's a whole nother thing for someone with far more musical knowledge than me. It could also be the influence that Iroh has over the formation of the Blue Spirit. I think it's definitely that. But because we have that music associated with the Blue Spirit the entire time, and the Blue Spirit is built as a character, a distinct character, that is an ally to Aang. And they specifically play the Sungi horn when Zuko is waking up. And when Aang is talking about his friends in the Fire Nation, he's talking about Kuzan, he's asking Zuko whether or not Zuko thinks they would be friends. I I genuinely think that in addition to the Blue Spirit, because, you know, like you said, the Blue Spirit is a compartmentalization of a portion of Zuko that can be an ally, a friend to the Avatar. The Sungi Horn is emblematic of their friendship. Ooh. And I think that the Horn taking priority in the mix over Zuko's expression immediately after Aang says, do you think we could have been friends back then? And the music gets louder. The Sungi horn gets louder as we watch Zuko. His face drops. He struggles with the question before the music stops and then the fire blast comes. That's a yes. That is the show telling us yes. Ah, that, oh, I didn't even, mm. I feel like I noticed that internally, but not externally. You know what I mean? I felt it. Regardless of whether or not you realize it, you feel it in you. And that's why that moment hurts so much. I love when you turn my head to those moments. That whole scene is built around these two characters would in any other world be friends. They just like, not even because of who they are, they are friends, but they can't be right now because of the circumstances that they're in. What an absolutely beautiful buildup. Yeah. And I want you to think about that going forward whenever you hear the Sungi horn. I am going to keep my ears open for the Sungi horn. Because we hear that thing more and it is like it just the emotions hit when you hear the Sungi horn. absolutely love atlas use of cut scenes i mean i've talked about it in senses of comedy in, uh with the map i've talked about it in senses of you know iro talking about underestimating people and cutting to Sokka, cleaning gunk out of appa's toes and then there's this moment where they cut to a shot of zuko lying in bed looking at the Fire Nation emblem. It's right after Sokka asks Aang if he made any new friends while out searching for the cure for the illness. It Sokka asks, you make any new friends? It cuts to just Zuko lying in bed, 
looking up at the Fire Nation emblem on his wall, and then it cuts back to Aang. And why is this... This shot is in here for a reason. Colton, tell me your thoughts on this shot. I think it's to really hammer home on top of the the whole Sungi horn thing that we we are supposed to think of these two characters on some level as friends. I I don't think they are mm. actually friends. I think they're like I I think there's, you know, our society talks about soulmates in the context of like mm-hmm. romantic relationships, but I think there's a there's a non-romantic connotation behind soulmates. Oh, yeah. Like I would consider you to be one of my soulmates. This is not to say that I'm like, you know, yeah. head over heels in love with you for all time. I'm not. <laughs> that would come as a shock to but me. But I too. think <laughs> our our personalities and who we who the two of us are as people, like there is there is a fundamental link between us. There is a bond yes. that we share that that is unique to our friendship that has been there for the entirety of our friendship even when that friendship was new. Like, there is this weird through line that has pervaded everything. And Yes, from day one. <laughs> Literally day one. This is, I, I cannot describe it to anyone, but you know what I mean. We, uh, for for context, listeners, we ran into each other no matter what, the first week of college, anywhere we went, the other one was. And we just kept being thrown into the same situations together until finally we just said, okay, universe, we get it. We're supposed to know each other and we're supposed to be in each other's lives somehow, some way. And and this is a thing that I, it exists in the way that it does with you, only with you in my life. I have mm-hmm. very similar things with, other people in my life that I would also consider soulmates just in different ways. And I, I don't think our society necessarily talks about that a whole lot or maybe in the healthiest way. Um, but I think it's a thing that many people experience. And I think it's a thing that, that we are supposed to project onto Zuko and Aang and they're, they, they, might not fully recognize it. Maybe they're starting to, but I, I think this is the show trying to like get that connection into our brains. On top of that, the specific scene that we get with Zuko, I think is really powerful to his development as a character, because you're right. He's lying in his bed. He's looking at a fire nation flag and he doesn't seem to be happy with that fire nation flag. And he doesn't seem to be happy with himself lying in his bed. And he sits there for a moment unhappy with himself and his flag that we would expect to mean quite a bit to him. What a loyal member of the Fire Nation he has been thus far, but he seems to struggle with it now. And then he turns his back on the flag. Mm. He turns his back on the symbol of his throne. And his country. Of everything he wants. Everything. (gasps) He starts the episode afraid he is going to lose what he turns his back on in the end of the episode. Oh, there 
was so much more loaded in that small little cutscene. I don't think he's necessarily like that's he's not walking away from it, but he's definitely taken a good hard look at his relationship to it. Ooh, yeah. And I think that scene is staged such the way it is because we, you know, Sokka asked the question of Aang. Aang is clearly disappointed. He's clearly full of regret because I think he was really hopeful in that tree that maybe he and Zuko, you know, had some level of connection. And I think they did. But I think that Aang can't see it because of Zuko's reaction, because of that fireball. And what's funny is I feel like Zuko, even though we hear the question from Sokka and there's nothing going on with Zuko but lying in that bed, it almost feels like there's that echo of that question playing in Zuko's head as he's look as he's lying there, as he's going, did I just make a, make a connection with the Avatar? Yeah, I think... Did I just make a new friend? Crap, did I just make a new friend? I think both of these characters have so far had a very like black and white morality view of the world. Mm-hmm. I think Aang is still holding on to that. Yeah. And that's why like he he's upset. To. He had like that's all he knows that like he's not yeah. ready to let go of that just yet. Yeah. But I think Zuko is starting to struggle with his and I think he's starting to see some, you know, shades of gray. He's he's caught in the middle now that he has that he has that antagonist and he has he has yeah. people on both sides that yeah he is in the gray area he's got Zhao on one side in the darkness Ang on the other in the light and where does he stand and Ang doesn't see any of that <laughs> <laughs> Ang is just like oh man I could have made a new friends and I had to carry all these frozen frogs and it was just. So annoying. Yeah. So that's what I saw in that quick shot at the end. But I tend to see a lot when I look at Zuko. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why I like asking you questions about Zuko, because I know you're I know you're paying such close attention to him. I just I feel a sort of kinship to him because like I've struggled with a lot of the stuff that that he struggles with in the show. And so like it's. I I I know I project and I know I like there there's some bit more than just identification going on. <laughs> I feel like I have a character or two where I do that with, but I I don't think we've met them yet. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Pie Show. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash 13. If you'd like to reach us, you can send us a tweet at thepieshow or email us at thepieshowpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us what you think. Yeah, we want to hear it. Did this bring the drama for you? Who do you think was the blue spirit when you first watched it? Do you think Zuko had it in him at the end there? Do you think Zuko and Aang would have been friends way back when? Do you think we think way too much about all of this? <laughs> Do you care what a Sungi horn is or what it represents? <laughs> and are you ready to start the second half of season one?
So you brought up the Yu Yen archers, and uh, you might move this. You might move this to post show, but Yu Yen archers—they're like these guards, these super great guards and everything. But they didn't notice just somebody hanging out on top of the roof at the fortress at the fort. Like they're not guards; they're acting as guards, but they're warriors, and they're being wasted as guards. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I just needed to point that out because we got somebody on the roof and he overhears the whole thing. But I don't think it's supposed to be like, oh, they're supposed to be so good, but they didn't even see the thing. I think it's a bit of like the wharf effect where it's like they are amazing. So it is even more amazing that the blue spirit is here. Okay, I like that. But it it's difficult because we haven't seen them be amazing yet. We've only really heard about it for us to conceptualize them as amazing instead of incompetent. Also, Colton, did you notice we don't say the blue spirit? Ever. Like this ever in this episode. We call it the blue spirit. The episode's named the blue spirit. We talk about the blue spirit. He's not given this name yet. At all. He's not acknowledged directly really yeah the name is not mentioned in episode dialogue or text until episode the episode the waterbending master like this is it's a slow burn speaking of boomy for a second can i just mention how that final battle ang thinks like a mad genius and he uses the ladders to get across just saying just just you mentioned boomy and i was like oh he thought like a mad genius oh he did yeah but yeah, uh, uh, the potion lady and Boomy would have been a match made in heaven. That's OTP right there. Yeah, honestly, I shipped that so hard. Perfect for each other. And like, just think of like, they'd have Miyuki and then they'd have um, Flopsy. Flopsy. <laughs> like, oh my God, what a power couple. 